Hey, welcome to another episode of uh, Consider This. I'm Drew Moss hosting what is uh, our second round of, I don't know, what did you guys call the first one? A, a crossover episode? A hybrid? What, what do we call these? You guys are the hosts. We're the guests. Event. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So a normal Consider This with special guests uh, from another podcast that we really like. Uh, uh, I almost said all things considered. Every thought captive, uh, every thought captive. I don't, I don't know where that came in there, but every thought captive. This is Michael Lafazio and uh, Chad Ragsdale joining us, both uh, hosts from Every Thought Captive and both uh, professors at Ozark Christian College. Here with myself and Jim Johnson, lead minister at Sunnybrook Christian Church. Um, this is actually kind of a fun one for me because I, I feel like I've got like a special connection to everybody on this episode. Uh, Jim as uh, my really close friend slash boss slash professor from college, whichever you can choose, whichever one. Uh, Michael as one of my closest friends uh, from college. Mm. Uh, and then Chad as my cousin, actually. Uh, I forget that. You guys are in the I mob together. That too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think my also, third cousins, maybe? Second yeah, cousins, third, third cousins like are our grandmas, their sisters. Yeah. Um, weirdly enough like oddly he's the one i'm least i know the least of of all three of you guys is my cousin here but uh but, but still super fun to get to to hang out with you guys and, and have you guys here so i I, uh, I actually told you guys about two hours ago that i was going to hijack this episode uh we had these these plans to go a specific direction and address a handful of questions that maybe maybe we'll get to get to that at some point um, but I, I've just been thinking a lot recently in the middle of kind of shelter in place and, and quarantine. I've been, I've been thinking a lot about our students. Of course, I do, I do college ministry alongside of uh, Sunnybrook here with the table. And, and so we've got all our students back home uh, during this whole COVID-19 thing. And I've been thinking a lot about them. I, I told Scott Irwin, who I work with uh, just the other day, that uh, I do not think I would have done well as a college student during this time. I, I think uh, no, you would have slept till like one. Yes, yes. <laughs> this is thanks, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> I, was hoping, I was hoping for kind of like, no, man, you were. Oh, you dude, would you'd be fine. You yeah. and Rachel together. <laughs> no, it is true. I would have. I think the the amount of time alone. Uh, the lack of schedule, the separation from my community really would have exposed a lack of maturity in me. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I would have seen that, that come kind of to the surface really quick. And so I, I think about that with our students, how quickly this is exposing uh, their depth or their lack of it, their maturity or lack of it. Um, and, and, and of course, we also have been talking to them about, hey, but you know that this is a great time to grow, right? This is a great time to uh, dig into some new disciplines or, mm -hmm. or all the things that you hope you'd be able to do. This is a great chance to do that. And, and our students uh, want to do that. I think they really want to do that. But I do wonder sometimes if they, A, know how, mm -hmm. and B, if they even know what that means. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I just thought, man, I want, I want to take the chance while I've got some college professors on here who work with students, while I got a former college professor who, who does ministry in a university town, um, not that this is a college ministry problem, actually. I think this is a question yeah. for all Christians in all times. And this isn't even like a COVID-19 issue. This is all of life to talk, uh, to, to talk through this issue of Christian growth or spiritual maturity. Uh, what do we mean when we talk about growing up as a Christian? And I just want to pick you guys' brains on that a little bit. Uh, so 
I'll, I'll start with that one, actually, kind of right out of the gate. When we say, we talk a lot about growing. At, at, at Sunnybrook, we have our three Gs, our go, gather, grow, that we, mm-hmm. we expect all our people to be going, to be serving on mission, to be gathering together as a body and community, and then to be growing. Uh, but, but when we say those kinds of things, hey, you should be growing as a Christian or you need to be spiritually maturing. Um, what do we actually mean when we say that? Uh, or maybe better said, how do I know what are like indicators or markers that I am actually growing or that another person is growing? How, how would you guys kind of define that or describe that? I don't know. Who you want to go first, first. Yeah, I'll jump in. Sure, man. I think, yeah. um, you know, one of the things I notice about this is that the New Testament, um, the scriptures as a whole, but specifically in terms of, you know, maturity in Christ explicitly, the New Testament has a number of ways of describing it. So you have sometimes it's the language of strength to be strong in the Lord. Other times it is the language of maturity or, you know, having reached the appropriate end. Uh, still other times you may, you have a metaphor like fruit or whatever. But it seems to me that that um, one of the ways of construing it that may have a, a, have a place at the really core of the concept is the idea of being conformed to the image of Christ. You see this language at some important places. You see it in 2 Corinthians 3, where we're transformed to his image uh, from glory to glory as we, as we contemplate his glory, as we gaze upon him. And I think that's an important text that really Paul's getting at the heart of the transformation made possible by the gospel. And then in, and then Romans, the connection of 829, that all things work together for our good, and that good is defined in context of what we're destined for in Christ, which is to be conformed to the image of the Son. Then you have that same formational language in chapter 12, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So all of those texts together, I think, work at Colossians 3, 2. The idea of being conformed to the image of Christ, I think, is maybe the, at the center of, of the Bible's teaching on this. And it's been really helpful for me to break that down. So what does that mean? I think that means that you look like Christ because you are like Christ. That's, I think, the point of the image language. And, um, you know, like many, I'm sure, I've been helped by Dallas Willard in terms of articulating that in certain ways. I think of it uh, along some of the terms of his language, to be mature is to, to respond to the situations around me as Jesus would if he were me. So if it's a person that I encounter or if it's, you know, a crisis like, like the virus or, uh, you know, an out of rhythm change, like I have to transition my job online and, you know, we have, we all have new responsibilities together as a family with kids and all those things. I'm responding to those things with the spirit and the values and the convictions of Jesus if he were in my particular situation. And um, that would be the, the basics of the idea for me. And in terms of your second aspect of the question, how do we know? I think some of it is like the ideal is when I am naturally responding in the way that I think Jesus would. So when I'm naturally responding to, you know, whether it's a whiny student or whether it's a, it's a grumpy, I wake up in a grumpy mood, when I sort of like don't have to try real hard, but it's just sort of, oh, I, I do what Jesus would do. That's the goal. But I also think that we should take a lot of solace in I'm not naturally responding in this way yet. So I'm not where I want to go, but I am wanting to. And I am, I have the intentionality of I will obey in this moment. That too, I think is something that, that really needs to be celebrated. Uh, so the desire to resist the temptation leading to the ability to successfully resist the temptation leading to ultimately this is naturally the temptation just doesn't do its work on me because I've become like Jesus. That's how I frame it up. I think in the biggest picture of things. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all that. Um, uh, I, I would, I would also add this when you're, when you're talking about spiritual maturity or spiritual growth, um, it, it might be a mistake to think about spiritual growth in the same way that we think about physical growth. Um, uh, so with physical growth, I can put my kids up against the wall and kind of measure their physical growth 
one year to the next, you know, and we can kind of keep track of it on the wall and see how they've grown over time. Um, so physical growth is very linear in that perspective. Spiritual growth doesn't, it doesn't really work that way, though, at least not in my experience. And I think um, biblically, it doesn't really work that way either. It's, it's kind of, um, I don't know, it, it, it comes in fits and starts. And one of the things that I've learned, um, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time studying the book of Hebrews um, to, to teach it at Ozark. And one of the things that I find so striking about the book of Hebrews is that growth oftentimes does take place in times of crises, in times of desert wandering, um, in times of trial and temptation. Um, those are the those are the moments where we are tested. Those are the moments where we do um, sort of like going to the gym. You know, it's it's uh, those are the moments where our spiritual muscles are are taxed and worked out. Um, but I think it's also true that growth isn't discernible while while you're in the desert. It's only upon reflection um, about how much you have persevered, about how much you have overcome. Um, and so one of the things that I would encourage, Drew, your students, my students, and just frankly, any disciple, especially during this season, is um, give yourself a little bit of grace. Um, we're, we're in a crisis mode right now, and we're responding physically and also emotionally to our circumstances in certain unpredictable ways at times. Um, so, so don't, in other words, don't expect more of yourself in this moment than is reasonable. I think I think we could actually put a lot of spiritual anxiety in our life by assuming, okay, I'm in lockdown right now. I need, this is an opportunity. I need to become like super Christian. I need to pray three hours a day. I need to, to get up early in the morning and study scripture. And if I'm not doing that, I'm feeling badly about myself or guilty about my lack of spiritual development. Um, I, I would just caution you to, to have some grace, but also um, the key, the key word in seasons like this is the word perseverance and faithfulness. You, mm -hmm. You're faithful in the midst of trial, in the midst of tribulation, and the growth that you experience in the midst of it will will probably be more discernible on the other side than it is right now in the moment. Um, and so I, I have a lot of other thoughts, but I, um, I'll turn the mic over to Jim and, and just kind of, I'm curious what Jim has to say about this question. Yeah, um, man, I love what you guys are sharing. I, I'll, I'll say two things. Number one, <clears throat> the, the kind of the short form phrase, Drew, that we love to say at the church, because although I didn't know what you were going to say, Chad, when you said it's not like physical growth, I'm glad that you said it's just, it's not necessarily linear. Mm -hmm. But I do believe that at some level, and it might be a complicated metric to measure, it is still quantifiable. There still mm -hmm. is a, there still is growth. And so I'm a little concerned when people don't recognize uh, that it's definitely more. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, it's more like Christ, particularly that we're looking for. So sure, the metric is complicated, but it definitely has to mean more if we're going to be talking. It has to mean something. Yeah, it has mm -hmm. to mean something. So we talk about it in terms of, and I'd love to hear you guys even evaluate this. We talk about it in terms of our, our understanding of and I believe that's both an experiential and an, a cognitive knowing. Mm -hmm. So even when the Apostle Paul talks about, I, I long to know Christ, he even loves to come alongside and to share with him in his sufferings. Mm -hmm. And so the Apostle Paul's not thinking facts about Jesus, who was his mother, what were the names of his disciples, but he's talking about joining with him in an obedience to 
God's mission and purpose in which his body is being mm-hmm. even challenged, the fullness of the, of the Christian experience. So it's an understanding of completely, experientially, cognitively, um, and then an obedience to yeah. is the phrase that we, we, we love to use that. And our understanding of Jesus needs to grow. And, in, and then in relation to that, our obedience to him needs to grow. And so that's, know, kind of the, that's kind of the quick, this is what we mean by that. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, thoughts, comments? It's, I, I think it's important for us to remember when we talk about spiritual growth, um, you know, like Michael said, the ultimate rubric that we're given in scripture is the likeness of Christ. We're growing into the likeness of Christ. Um, but spiritual growth, it, you're talking about a, a relational dynamic, right? So there is, Jim, you're right, there's this cognitive element, you know, and I'm thinking, again, Hebrews chapter 5, it says, you need to be more diligent, and you need to go beyond the elementary things of Scripture. You need to train yourself in Scripture, because, and Hebrews 5 says, by doing so, you'll be able to distinguish good from evil. Like, so there, there is this cognitive element where you are studying, you're learning, you're growing in the things of the mind so that you can make good moral choices. Um, there's also growing in the habits of the heart, you know, you know, growing in, you know, our pat the things that we're passionate about or the things that we're not passionate about. Um, but I also think that there's this important element of spiritual growth that is deeply relational, right? So um, it, whenever you argue from analogy, there's some risks involved, but in some respects, it's sort of like growing in your maturity as a husband or as a wife or uh, within the dynamics of that relationship, like you're growing closer together the longer you spend together. And there are ways that you can measure that. There are ways that you can assess that, right? There, there are certain warning signs that you could pay attention to. Um, but, but ultimately, you're growing together in your relationship over time as you're pursuing intimacy, as you're pursuing knowledge. Um, and, and it's similar in our, in our spiritual life. Like, we're not just aspiring to know new things. And I know that's not what you're saying, Jim. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're aspiring to grow closer to God um, in our spiritual development, um, more intimate with God in our spiritual development. So there's, there's this relational component that we really need to pay attention to. Yeah, I think or it's almost lived out in that relational component. Yeah, yeah I think it is important to maintain that. Um, I think, uh, you know, I'm freshly see the value of the language of relationship, having a relationship with Jesus, a relationship with God. Uh, you know, the difference, part of the difference to me seems to be that in my relationships with other people, the purpose of that growth doesn't look like me becoming more like them. So Chad, you and I can grow our friendship, or I can grow my friendship with Drew, with Jim, grow a relationship with my wife. And I'm not trying to take her thoughts on or take your thoughts on for them to become my own. And that's where this is a unique relationship mm-hmm. in which there's a transformation, yes, that must include the re- category of relationship, but it can't be boiled down simply to that because who I am is changing. And Jim, I love, I think it's very biblical. I think it's very, you know, Pauline is where I live most of the time, but I think it's, it, you see it in all the apostles and their witness and even in the again in the old testament as well but that there's a mental thinking component to it and a bodily component to it and i like the way you describe knowledge it's not knowledge about it's almost like having you know i always think it's interesting in colossians 3 where he talks about being renewed in knowledge in the image of his creator he didn't have to say knowledge he could have said being renewed in the image of his creator and it would have been like oh nothing's missing from the statement right so i think part of the point there is that there is a transformation of our mind where we think his thoughts you know, and that's where it's like you said, it's not just, I know his mom, I know this, I know that it's no, I think like him. 
And the body and the mind together are all over the place in close proximity. In Ephesians 4, you have the be made new in the spirit of your minds uh, on either side of it, put off the old, put on the new. And even in Romans, that Romans 12 text, the first move is consecrate your bodies as a living sacrifice. Yep. Yep. Um, and then be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So there really is that. I love the growth and understanding and the growth and obedience. And I think those things feed each other. You know, to, the, what, what do I do to grow? Well, think a true thought and then do the, good, do the good thing that seems to make sense based on that true thought. Because no matter what direction we're going, our thoughts are going to impact our doings and our doings are going to impact our thinkings. And I know we all appreciate the work of James Smith and, and the, the recognition that spiritual formation isn't just a matter of, of, of you know, cognition or intellect, intellect, that it's about the transformation of the heart. Part of my, you know, gentle pushback on that is, yeah, but I can't act directly on my passions. And I think the way in which I cultivate my love for the Lord is to think about what is true about him and his world and the way in which he's moved and then to do what makes sense in light of that. And I know that's a part of Smith's thing is our, our, our transformation has to be bodily, liturgical in the sense of I want to do this thing. The one other point I want to make just that, you know, tie some of the things some of the things we've said together in a way that is interesting is, you know, I think your point, Chad, about don't put too much pressure on yourself, give yourself some grace is precisely an example of thinking gospel thoughts. Yeah. So, and this is what I would say to you, Drew, to, you know, you use yourself as an example. I don't know if you do as bad as you think, but what I can guarantee you is you would beat yourself up about not doing better. Like yeah. that's what we all know about Drew, you know, like oh you would God. more so than anybody. Not get me started. Michael, <laughs> right. Well, then that's where like you would absolutely just hate yourself and be so hard on yourself for not doing better than you were. And in that would be like that other kind of immaturity back then. I think you do better now than you would. Then we'd all do a little bit better now than we would back then at a number of things. But like the gospel thought is, is what you're saying, Chad, to think the way Jesus would approach a situation like this, if he were me is to keep in mind the thing that you mentioned. And I do, I do. Yeah. I think that those things, all of what we're saying fits together in, in a way that is beautiful and important. What makes a situation for Drew both better and not necessarily better simultaneously is as he's feeling bad, he even, he doesn't feel good about feeling bad. He just continues to feel more bad about feeling bad, in which case I think he should feel bad about feeling bad because I think those bad thoughts are not necessarily in alignment with the gospel. So right. it's, a, it's a vicious cycle. On that note, the other thing I want to add is, is the First Corinthians 4 material where the Apostle Paul is talking about the measuring of, mm -hmm. of, the, of, the faithful, of the faithful manager of the gospel, of the mysteries mm -hmm. of the gospel, in which the Apostle Paul says, you know, this is why I don't even judge myself. Yeah. So going back to the graciousness, it, it, he says in 2 Corinthians um, 13, 5, that we actually should have a way of measuring so that we know that we're in alignment yes. with faith. So it's not like he's saying don't do that. Mm -hmm. But I think what he is saying is you do realize that any assessment that you make is like a human assessment. Yeah. And therefore I don't judge other people and I, and I don't even judge myself because I will wait until the appropriate time. So I do like the idea of either offering yourself grace or having a measured conclusion mm -hmm. <laughs> about how you think you're doing. Don't think too much of yourself. Don't think too little of yourself. Have the right assessment. Yeah, well, and this, two other. Is what, well, let me throw these two in, Chad, real oh, quick. Ahead, two, two other passages, just real quick, and then I want to turn it over to you. I love Titus two to connect to what you're saying, Jim, because he says it's the grace of God that trains yeah. us to say no to the ungodliness and worldly passions. I think that's such an important thing to see. And then, you know, another the, the one one of the texts that never that I always have to make fit in. I have to like adjust my understanding of spiritual formation to fit it because it doesn't naturally fit. It always feels weird to me. Is in Galatians, I think it's six two or three or four somewhere in there. 
when he's like, you should test your own actions and take pride in your growth, take pride in your progress. That just seems, that seems like it's not something Paul should say. And it's always helpful for me. You know, I have to teach, I get to teach through Galatians every spring. I come back around to that verse or every fall. And it's like, man, this, there's something about the way he frames it up that I still am getting toward. Um, that, that but verse. if the Titus, for Paul, if the Titus material is, is recognizing it's the grace of God that brings me to, right. then to be able to measure yourself appropriately in the Galatians actually brings the glory back to God anyway. And so, yes. you know, much like, you know, now we're in Philippians chapter 2. We are, yeah. Yeah, it's that kind of like, or even, or even um, Ephesians 2.10. So you're looking at this, it is God who works. So this is the Philippians 2 material. Mm -hmm. um, it is God who brings these things about. Um, and so this is kind of how it's happening. And it's the same thing in Ephesians 2.10, so. Amen, yeah. Chad, what were you gonna say? No, I was just gonna add, you know, one of my favorite short little verses uh, from Paul is in Ephesians 1 17 it's in the in the midst of his prayer for the Ephesian Christians and he says I keep asking that God would fill you with a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of sometimes it's translated revelation it really means discernment or an uncovering that you would be full of the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you would know Jesus better mm -hmm. and um that's what that's that's become one of my favorite verses that I mean especially for students, but, but again, for all of us, because what we need in these, in these confusing times is we really need the wisdom to see our, the circumstances of our life, to see the circumstances of the world, to see them from the perspective of God in Christ. And we need, we need that, Jim, like you were saying, we need that as a gift from God, because yeah. what Paul acknowledges mm -hmm. in that prayer is there's something about this that doesn't come naturally to us. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some people are naturally more wise than other people. But Paul says, no, you need a spirit, capital S spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can know Jesus better in your circumstances as Ephesians living in this, in this godless city. Mm. And the same is true for us today. Like we, we need the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation so that we can know Jesus better. Um, so there, there's always going to be this element where, yes, I'm, I'm pursuing this. I'm pursuing wisdom. I want to see the world in the way that God sees the world. I want to see the, my life in the way that God sees my life. Um, I, I want to have discernment. I want to know what's right. I want to know what's wrong. But I also have to pursue those things in full knowledge that ultimately I have to rely on the spirit working within me to, to cultivate me and develop me in that way. So I, I want to move to the how here in, mm -hmm. in just a minute. I want to start talking about how, but I do want to actually uh, you know, something, Chad, you just said, you know, that, uh, that there's some people who are naturally more wise than others. Um, that's also true, actually, generally true of people who are older, of just as you get older, you, you know, and sometimes I do wonder in my life, I look and I go, man, I'm doing, I, I'm sinning less than I was in this particular area, or I'm, I'm kinder than I was, uh, or I'm wiser than I was in those. And, and sometimes I wonder, is that because the spirit is working in me, a spirit of wisdom and discernment is working in me? Or is that because I'm 37 and not 20 anymore? Mm -hmm. um, I, I think, why, why not both? I mean, um, I, I, don't, I don't think we should, we should um, um, endorse an understanding of, of the human person as being somehow disjointed or disconnected or compartmentalized, right? So, um, so we are wholly embodied people, um, body, soul, spirit. And so I, I don't think any of us should be surprised that as we're growing in age, 
we're also growing in the things of God and growing in the things of the spirit. Like, um, I think there should be some, some level of consistency in that type of growth. Um, I mean, I hate to keep on going back to Hebrews, but I've got it open up on my computer in front of me, but you know, he's chastising these Christians in, in Hebrews for being older in the faith, but not being, not possessing the type of maturity that they should have at that point. He's like, no, let, what's the deal? You guys should be leaders at this point. You've been, you've been following Jesus for such a long time, but, but why are you not teaching? Why are you not growing? It's, there's something stunted in your growth because there's not a correspondence between your age and experience and the spiritual growth that should have been accompanying that. So I, I just think that, yeah, oftentimes they will go hand in hand. You know, you shouldn't think or act in the same way as a 38 year old as you did when you were 18. It's just. Yeah. And Chad, Chad, while I got you, who is the he there that is writing the book of Hebrews? Just Apollos, for sure. Who? Apollos. Okay. Just, just check. No doubt in my mind. Dude, I like that. I didn't know you were that resolute. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I feel this question with you, Drew. Not that Chad doesn't, but I, I feel like, and here's why, here's why it hits me is because part of what I think the gospel presents the world is a unique power to be transformed into real, full human beings. And so there is a sense in which we should expect those in Christ to, you know, mature faster or mature deeper or truly mature in a way that isn't necessarily possible outside of Christ. And I think we all here would believe in something like common grace and whether we've framed it in terms of common grace or the image of God still being stamped upon humanity and the general growth that we can see in that regard, uh, you know, that, that the good that happens by, you know, in and through those who don't know Christ doesn't, it, it, it also honors Christ because literally he is the image in which those, they were made. So all that that good still points to him, but still feeling like, man, that, but, that, but there should be a transformation that takes place uniquely because of this. And what's tricky about the way in which I think about the question and the way in which I would want to reassure you or anybody in this regard is it involves comparing us to others. And that's a dangerous thing. You know, yeah. like we know 37, 38 year olds who aren't better husbands than, than when they started. So the fact that we are, isn't necessarily just a result of years. I know, you know, I, we could very easily be caught in since that, the, I mean, so, so my, my, you know, whatever your desire to be the best or succeed or whatever it is, I just don't think it's a guarantee that growing older tempers that. I also know a lot of older folks who, you know, sort of famously, you become, you care less about what other people think in a way that enables you to yeah. be set in your ways. So I think that the transformation of your spirit, uh, you know, the gentleness and the sensitivity that has always marked you, it would mark you maybe more than somebody else just because of how you're wired and who you're made. But I think also there's, if you, if we were to imagine a Drew outside of Christ, dude, that dude might be inside his own head in a way that, and I'm not, I don't want to be weirdly dark, but I don't know if a Drew outside of Christ makes it to 37. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I'm not even trying to be funny. I just mean like you're, the, the temperament and the sensitivities that you carry could ruin someone, but instead they've turned you into a person who consistently comes back toward the people around them in love. So yeah, I don't even know if there's a there's a real clear coherence to my answer, but I I do think though that it is true that that we cannot I, I don't think I think time is necessary for growth and wisdom, but growth in time doesn't guarantee growth and wisdom. That seems to be both of those things seem to be true to me. I think that's right. Yeah. Well, and in a similarity, you know, Drew, you're talking about the question, um, you know, what's different about me 
um, what's different about this? Is this just time that's bringing its own natural effect? And I think a lot about the goodness that a Christian might do and the goodness that someone who just loves people might do. And so during this particular COVID part, there are people that are just genuinely caring for others. And then there are people that are genuinely caring for others for the glory of God. And those things look like the same thing externally. But we know, going back to mm. Michael about the, this, this mysterious revelation, which is Christ in us, that there's, those two aren't the same thing. And so in the same way that time just naturally teaches Jim to be patient, that's not the same thing as being patient because of the spirit in me for the glory of God. They, they look outwardly the same, but, but at their very core, they are fundamentally different things. And dude, in a very important and good way, I think you sound like, like an Augustine or a Calvin when they talk about when oh, they look dude, back, that's exactly amen you know what i'm saying yeah like they look back on even yes. and I've been, I've been reading all confession so i've been thinking yep. about this it's making yep. me think of all these moments of sinfulness but then i also have thought back to moments that i've regarded as steps forward in my moral progress and i can see the sinfulness in those moments yep. that i couldn't yep. previously see yep. um, yeah those are important things okay so uh I want to hear you guys now, and, and you've hinted at it with some things, but I want to hear now uh, you guys talk about the how. Um, what does a person do in order to grow? And, uh, you know, and one of the questions you can kind of address in there, are there, uh, you know, Michael, you said, using Willard's definition, that, that uh, growth is me responding as Jesus would if he were me in my situation. Mm -hmm. um, almost sounding like growth can, to some degree, look slightly different depending on who you are and where you are is that the same when it comes to with how to grow um is 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 it a one size fits all are there particular things that are gonna i mean you have to be doing these things in order to mm -hmm. grow or or are there are there uh, a lot of different ways to go about that what, what are what are things you do or maybe maybe that's a great way to ask it what if yeah. you found have helped you grow in your own lives yeah i love the question and i'll resist and i'll okay, I, you know yeah, I don't know if you were trying to direct this to me or not, but it felt like you were, you were pointing that direction. So I'll jump in. Um, I'll resist the temptation to be thorough because, you know, that would, I want to hear what everybody else has to say. But there's a framework for me that I think there's some aspects of it that are for everybody. And then there's also room within it, though, for, for specific to a person. Because I very much think that there is something personal about this. You know, there's something unique about this that's going to look different in, you know, Jim's life as opposed to my life, Chad's life, your life, whatever. I think that the baseline for this for me is always going to come back to obedience. And for me, all of these disciplines, obedience being the primary one, is, is, a, is, is, a, is a combination of mind and body. So I'm thinking true thoughts and I'm doing good things. That's fundamentally what I mean by obedience. And I've, I like go children's church on this. I think about a hand, like the palm is the discipline of obedience. And that's the baseline for everybody. You never knowingly do wrong and you don't entertain thoughts that aren't true. If you, if you, if you think of them, then you disagree with them. But then there seems to be to me a fund, fundamental core of, you know, study and fellowship or community and service to people and worship and prayer. Those seem to be like essential elements for everyone. And then beyond that, there's these sort of secondary disciplines, which may be standard ones like fasting or, or you know, solitude and silence. But even within that category, there are like unique disciplines. So for me, there is a part of the flesh that is always going to try to appear impressive. So I will periodically do probably a couple weeks out of the year. I'll put my I'll, I'll, I'll practice the spiritual discipline of not saying anything that I might be saying or not doing anything that I might be doing to look good. 
Like if that's a part of the motivation, sometimes you just do the thing because it's a blessing to other people and you repent as you do it, you know, but there's, I'll go through these periods where I'm just literally not going to do anything. If, I, if I'm conscious that that might be part of it, that's kind of unique to me. You know what I'm saying? And that's within this realm of secondary disciplines that are appropriate for certain people for certain times. And then the last category for me is disciplines of response where I didn't, none of us asked for COVID-19. None of us asked for quarantine. No, we don't get to pick our deserts, you know, we didn't choose this one. And so there's a sense in way, and we don't get to pick suffering, you know, for instance, the past season of our lives, Beth and I, when we lost, we, you know, you guys know this, we suffered three miscarriages on the way to heaven clear. We didn't choose that. You know what I'm saying? So that is thrust upon us. And there's a sense in which how we respond to what we can't control becomes, a, I don't know if it's proper to call it a spiritual discipline, but it's a discipline of response to the moment. And um, that's probably, I probably said enough. So that's some of how I frame it up. Again, hopefully it's at least halfway coherent. That's how I think about growth. And I only, I hate that I didn't say anything about the ministry of, of our presence in each other's lives, but somebody else can talk about that. I, I don't, I mean, that's outstanding. I, I would just, uh, I would echo everything that you said, Michael. I, I would just add this element as well. There, there is, there is going to be, like you said, this, this personal element to spiritual growth that we need to be mindful of. I need people in my life to help me fully discern, to help me fully discern what those avenues might be for me, because I have blind spots. We all have blind spots, right? We, we like to tell ourselves lies um, about how well we're doing or, um, and, and what we do, Michael, you're right, a lot of times those, those lies that we tell ourselves are by comparing ourselves to other people. Um, and so I need people in my life, um, like my wife, frankly, Michael, like you and, and Doug and friends of mine, to actually speak words of truth to me. Um, you, you did that just, you know, several days ago for me personally. Hey, here's, here's something you might want to think about doing, um, because I was really struggling with some things. And, um, and I, I would say that that's, especially during this season, that's, that's something that I know I, I'm at least struggling with. I think a lot of people are also struggling with this. Like we have sort of superficial connections with each other right now. Mm -hmm. um, but, but unless we work hard, those superficial connections are never going to go much beneath the surface, which is what we really need. We need people to tell us, hey, this is what I see. I know you might not see it, um, but this is what I see. And have you considered maybe doing this? Um, and I think we need the type of right relationships, the type of friendships in our life to accommodate that. And we need the type of humility to hear that well without being defensive. Um, and, and the other thing that I'll just add on here too, and just this is piggybacking something that you said, Michael, we're all going to be a little bit different in the things that really allow us to flourish and grow. You know, like, so for some of us, it might be actually just sitting down and reading a really dense theological book, you know, that that might set our world on fire and help us to grow in certain ways. But that's not going to necessarily be for everyone. Um, other other people might experience growth in ways very different than than myself. And I think we could help each other and balance each other out in certain important ways and and whatever. But um the times that I've felt most exhausted in my spiritual development are the times when I've tried to imitate people um, in, in the most un, unhealthy way. I've, I've tried to adopt a discipline that um, is identical to their own, and it just doesn't work for me. It doesn't give me life. It actually takes it away from me. 
And, and so there's a part of this that we do have to find those things that really do allow us to grow in, in just in the way that God has made us unique as individuals. One thing I'll add is, um, and so here's another book I'll never write, but I love the title, um, but The Art and the Discipline of Hearing No. Mm-hmm. Um, because I really think the more that I look back at my children, but I never really appreciated about when they were young. And what I thought one of the primary responsibilities that I had as a father and and specifically as a, as a spiritual father to my boys was how are they going to respond when they hear the word no? Hmm. So when they come and they ask me a question, dad, can we go to McDonald's? And I say, no. And I, I was very, very big. Do not ask me a question. If when I say no, you throw a fit, like, I'm just going to, let's just, Avoid that whole thing. If you cannot hear no, where you do not trust me as your father, where you do not respect me as your father, then that's not good. And so I was trying to teach them that at a a young age. The more that I look at life, um, the more that I see, and so going back to the moment in which we live, you know, the biggest frustration I have with this interruption, you know, the series that we started, Michael and Chad, um, a couple weeks ago, was um, life, life interrupted, life together. Hmm. And I really think that why people are so angry, you know, the great tweet that Jay tweeted out a little while back is because we're being told no. We're being hmm. told no financially. We're being told no relationally. We're being told no in a multitude of ways. And people are just like, hey, this makes me mad. Um, I don't like being told no. And I really think that that is, a de- that is by design an issue of maturity. I was in a, a meeting earlier today where pastors were gathering together, and I heard a pastor say, um, man, I'm not going to listen to the president. I'm not going to listen to the governor. But thank you, Mayor, because I agree with you. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, I don't, I don't know if there's any discipline in that. I don't know if there's any. That's just I agree with you. It's right. not. There's no, there's no work that's needed in that. And so you think about Paul in the Corinthian material. I asked God to take this away. He said, no. Um, Jesus in the garden. I asked God to take this, but it's God's will, not mine. I really believe that the how is going through your life and being cognizant and responsive to the no moments and believe that God's will is still being worked out and his grace is sufficient and his provision will come in spite of the fact that this is not what I had planned. This is not what I want, but it's not about me. And I think that is a sign of maturity, but sadly, most of us kind of go through life. Like a lot of parents go through parenting where when they add another child to the mix, Andrew and I really wrestled with this. When we had Matthew and then Mackenzie came along, we weren't the parents to just try to coddle Matthew. We were like, hey, there's more than one kid in the room now. Get used to it. Mm-hmm. And when Max came along, okay, now there's three of you. And so deal with it. And it's, it's kind of like teaching kids and then teaching grownups. There's more than just the two of us or the five of us or the 50 of us. And I think that's maturity. And mm-hmm. I think that is a little bit of the how. Uh, I just real quickly want to, there's two texts that cannot come, that, that cannot not come to mind to me, for me, as I hear you say that. One is Genesis 3, man. Like, what, what happened? <laughs> he said, not this one. And they were like, mm, we're going to try that one. That's exactly what you're talking about. Yes. And then in Colossians 3, 
I think it's, I think there's so many, so many rich layers to Colossians 3, but one of them is that you have these two lists of five sins. First one is, you know, evil desires and lust and greed and sexual morality. The second one is anger, rage and malice and, and, you know, abusive language and slander. And I think there's an order to this that's intentional on Paul's part. The first list is exactly what you're talking about. It is the, you know, the desires, sins of desire. Just want what I want. All of these have to do with, give me what I want. All right, me. It's about me and my desires being met quickly. And then the second one is, Ang sense of anger. This is what happened whenever I don't get what I want. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then yeah. I br brilliantly, I've seen that, but I love it. Yeah, and then I think brilliantly he 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 rounds it off with the later in chapter three with the list of five virtues: gentleness, patience, compassion, humility, kindness. Uh, topped off by love. All of these are about you know regarding the other, laying down my own personal desires. So, dude, I think there's something richly biblical about precisely the point you're making. I love what you guys are saying. I, I I love that discipline of no, Jim. That's that's great. I'll probably steal that at some point. Mm -hmm. But um, I in one of my classes this uh, this past week we were uh, it's a class on biblical interpretation. Michael teaches the same class, um, but we were talking about issues related to sexuality in that class. And one of the things that came up in our in our discussion with the students is, you know, so so many people in the world today really see issues of sexuality as being outside of the umbrella of their discipleship. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm going to follow, but following Jesus frees me to pursue whatever sexual relationships I want to pursue mm -hmm. because Jesus discipleship frees me in my sexuality, but it, my sexuality isn't in submission to my discipleship. And sexuality is just one example. I mean, it could be what we spend our money on. It could be any um, number of things, yeah. but but that's, it's caused me to reflect much more personally, just to do a personal inventory is what are those things in my life that I am, um, that I am placing outside of the umbrella of discipleship? What, what are those things in my life that I'm saying my discipleship doesn't necessarily impact A, B, or C? And it's precisely in those areas where I need to pay the most careful attention to my spiritual development and and bring myself into submission and learn how to say no um but but the way that we so often talk about discipleship we talk about discipleship um uh as a way of uh, almost justifying you know however we've already chosen to live our life i'm i'm following jesus jesus has offered me freedom he's offered me grace i i'm now free to pursue all these things kind of on my own accord but we don't necessarily think about discipleship in terms of, you know, bringing the lordship of Jesus to bear on every nook and cranny of our life. Um, and so that, that reflection and that um, just uh, uh, thoughtfulness about whatever area of my life I might be withholding from Jesus really helps me in my spiritual development. And, this or, and I think where we get it wrong too, Chad, is the, the little bit of the problem of, we think of discipleship as learning to say no instead of learning to hear no. Yeah. Mm. And so a lot of our discipleship language is like, I need to say no to this and this so I can say yes to the bigger thing. Ah, that's a great point. That's, that's great how point. we always talk. And I'm yeah. like, mm -hmm. I think, I think you fun. It's like, I think discipleship is more about hearing than it is about saying. Mm -hmm. So going back to those paradigms, I really think those are important hows that we're already fundamentally on the wrong stage hmm. and we've got to move from saying to hearing. Yeah, that's great. Here's one of the fascinating things I think just from my own perspective, as I'm listening to you is uh, 
the things I'm, I take as the markers of maturity or the fruit of maturity are, are the things you're giving as the means of maturity, yeah. which is I mark a person who's mature if they are obeying. Michael says the core of, of growing up in Christ is obedience. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or I mark as maturity someone who is able to hear no from God and respond well, or who is able to submit their sexuality or their money to to Christ, you know what I mean? You guys are saying, yeah, if you want to grow up, be a person who practices hearing no well, be a person mm-hmm. who practices. And so it's kind of fascinating. It's almost the, um, the way to have, you know, the, the way to be mature is to, to begin um, making efforts towards maturity or, you know, Dude, I think, those things. I think that's Paul's point when he says, since we live by the spirit, let's keep in step with the spirit in Galatians five. I think it's 25. It's right after he's listed the fruit. And I just love that metaphor that, you know, that word means things in a row, ABCs, marching in line. Here's what the spirit's doing. So if you want to, you know, become transformed then do those things, you know, march in line. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, all of you guys have mentioned at some point or the other, the, the process of thinking or knowledge in, in this practice of growing. Um, and so I want to ask you this question, what role does, uh, theology and knowledge of the word and knowledge of God play in this. Um, but let me, let me kind of, um, I don't know, let me kind of add to this just a, an angle. Um, I, I want you to answer with the recognition that uh, all of you guys and, and myself included really like theology. Um, and, and sometimes some of the things I hear sometimes about Sunnybrook is Sunnybrook is great for a certain kind of person that you have a, a certain kind of staff that is heavy on teaching and the word and theology, and it draws a certain kind of person who is really kind of uh, naturally drawn to those things. But, the, but there are some of us here who that's just not us. And so, and, and so it almost feels like I can, either, I can either become like you or there's not much for me or that I'm immature, or that I'm not growing. So so I want to ask, I guess, what role does theology play and, and how would you respond to a person that goes, yeah, but I'm not a college professor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and how would you hold that stuff out to them? Chad, you want to take a stab at that first? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a great question. Um, I, uh, I guess, you know, as a person that teaches apologetics, a, a verse that's always been sort of close and dear to my heart is 1 Peter 3.15, where he says, set apart Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer uh, to people who ask you about your hope. Um, the people that, that Peter was writing to there were not college professors. Um, it's, it's dubious that they were even very well-educated at all. But nevertheless, Peter does have this expectation of them that number one, um, they've made Jesus Lord uh, of their entire life, that they've set apart Christ as Lord. But number two, he's making the, or he has the, ex- the expectation that People are going to ask you questions about your faith, and so do you have a way to respond to them? Um, and so I don't think any of us are exempt from theological curiosity. I don't think any of us are exempt from growing in the things of Scripture, growing in the things of God. Um, that doesn't mean that you have to have an advanced degree, or any degree for that matter, um, but it, it does mean that you take your faith seriously enough to dive deeply into it. Um, and this is something that, that I got to confess, it does, it does bother me because we're so willing to dive deeply into all other areas of knowledge, right? Like, so I know some, some people that could tell you anything that you'd ever want to know about the NBA or about Major League Baseball 
um, or um, you know about how to shoot, how to you know rewire a house or whatever. Like, and all those things are good, and all those things might be valuable things to know to some degree or another. But when it comes to when you ask them, you know, how much how much engagement in scripture or in theology or about what you like, how much engagement have you done there? It's like there's a blank stare. It's like, well, that's your job, right? Like your job is to to teach me and to. And I'm like, no, what? Why would we pursue depth of knowledge in all of these other areas? Yeah. But for some reason, when it comes to the to the deep things of God, to the things of our Creator, to the things that are literally life and death, um, we're more than willing to concede that to other people. Um, now, I I can understand why people would misunderstand that, because you know it's 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 intimidating, right? It's intimidating to to dive deep into the to the deep waters of theology and we're we're afraid of making a mistake and we're afraid of you know getting some nuance wrong you know but um but i don't think we should allow that fear that intimidation keep us from pursuing knowledge of things that really matter yeah i think um i'll try to i'll try to say one for each uh, you know i know you guys know this and i'm currently in the middle of a project that's literally about the importance of thinking for our transformation into christ likeness um and i think the the main thing i would say is we it is i think it's a simple fact that we cannot outlive our thoughts and that's a little bit different than something else i think is true which is we can't outlive our beliefs I think that our beliefs are fundamentally critical. And by beliefs, I mean, you know, the things that we would say are true when we're trying to talk about what we think is true. Our thoughts, though, I'm not going to say they're more important because they're not really two fundamentally separate things. But by our thoughts, I mean the actual ideas that are regularly making their way in and through our minds that are governing the things we do in any given moment. Everything that we do, uh, we do through because of a combination of the thoughts that we're thinking in the time at the time and the habits that we've formed, which were in part driven by the thoughts that we were thinking at those times. So I just think it's a fundamental feature of human existence that you can't outlive your thoughts. And so that becomes a way in which we, we frame up the necessity of theology of, of the study of God and all things in God. So that, that I think is critical to, as a starting point, like whoever these persons are who would say, well, you know, this just isn't my thing. The starting point is if you, you don't, if you don't believe that God is all powerful, you might know, not know the word omnipotence, but if you don't believe that God is all powerful, or if you, you may not know the word immutability, but if you think that God actually changes, that he can't be relied upon to always be who he's always been, then it's going to be hard for you to be a faithful person. So that would be the main thing I would say just in general about the importance of theology. Uh, you know, caveats could be given Chad's covered it. Not everybody's going to think as deeply or, you know, to get as into the history of theology and the fundamental distinctions of various doctrines and those sorts of things. But um, I really think that part of discipleship even involves some of that. With respect to your church, I think I would, you know, obviously you guys want to hear, uh, you guys would want, I know you want to, you'd want to hear that as, all right, are, is there an imbalance here? But for me, I would, I would want to bring in the, and, and, and I know it's articulated as a business principle, and I don't mean to start both of these with general truths, as if scripture itself doesn't answer these questions. But, um, you know, I'm, I, I think, I don't know if you guys know Jim Collins, that, you know, good to great, built to last, all that stuff. You know, one of the principles he says of, uh, I think it's in good to great, I can't remember which one it is, is reject the tyranny of the, the, tyranny of the or and embrace the genius of the and. And it's a simple way of saying, we don't have to choose. Now, if what these persons are saying is, 
this is a congregation and a leadership team that actually talks more about truth than they actually live it out. If there's a deficit in our obedience, and if there's a deficit in our evangelism, and if there's a deficit in our service to, to one another and to the community, then we have an imbalance that needs to be corrected. But the answer is not less good, solid teaching. The answer might be bringing other things up to that same level of importance and emphasis. So um, you guys, because you have a staff of, of, of mostly like-minded folks and a leadership team of mostly like-minded folks, I think you need to be really, in, you know, make, and you know, Jim, you're not the most naturally sensitive person. We all know that. I think you guys need to be disciplined in your, in, but I, I honestly think that some of the, some of the joke there is, is not yeah. quite fair. Yeah. I do think that you're, you're, um, you play when you play, but I think there is a real sensitivity to when you're actually pastoring, you know, in, in those moments. Yeah, they so, know me. Hey, listen, Michael, they all know me. So I know, I know. <laughs> so, but, you know, given that you guys are who you are and, you know, if Chad or I would have joined your staff, we, we, we would join in the same regard. We would need to be careful about not communicating that this is the bar of maturity, whether or not you can explain the difference between the um, social trinity, social trinity and the biblical trinity. You know what I'm saying? No, but at the same time, again, that matters because you can't outlive your thoughts. And if you think of God as three people hanging out together as a, as a form of modeling community, that's going to screw up your discipleship. Like eventually you're, it's going to make its way into, a, a, you know, misplaced uh, goals in, in your effort to be a faithful follower of Jesus. So those are the things I would say. I don't think you can, I loved it. I don't think you can, I don't think you can deal with what we had just been saying and then ask that question in the same way. I don't know how you can say, I'm trying to hear from God and learn the discipline of, of hearing no mm -hmm. to myself, to who I am. It's interesting, the that's not really me motif isn't even a Christian option. It's, I mean, this is what I love about Rosaria Butterfield, who answers the question about our sexual understanding of ourselves, where when you, this is where the Calvinists get it so well, when you understand just your need for God and your need for Christ and your absolute nothing to bring to the table, when you start there, it's a wonderful place to start. Mm -hmm. And so instead of it being, man, that's not me, like nowhere, nowhere else does the Bible really go, okay, well then what would you like? Right. Like, if you'd okay. rather not speak of me before people, then it's okay. I still won't be ashamed of you in the sure. angels. It's like, I can't no. imagine the disciples saying to Jesus, you know, you keep giving us these long, boring messages about yourself, and it's so not like the way I get it. Or, you know, we love to kind of pick and choose like how Jesus is. And I, and I want to say, now listen, that's what we all do. Jesus just is who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I, I think if what Drew is describing is, like you just said, Michael, an imbalance or maybe even a hypocrisy, even if it's yeah. not intended, yep. then I think we need to address that and we need to confess it, repent and, and change. I also believe that there are so many ways in which we can manifest um, what biblical knowledge and what biblical uh, obedience looks like it's it's a whole lot more than a test that you take in college mm -hmm. so it's definitely not just content and then the regurgitation of that content right. um and then um an articulated orthodox position but it's an orthopraxy in in line with an orthodoxy so it's it's literally a both and mm -hmm. and so you know drew for those people that are saying i need more than a class I, then i'm with you 100 percent. we need to offer more than classes um, and we need to have a holistic view of ministry. I just don't know how to get around the truths of God being known and responded to.
And um, it's a little bit like whenever I would used to read books by John Eldridge, he would complain about the head and the knowledge. And then he would write an entire book about how I need to rechange my thinking. Mm -hmm. And I would just go, dude, why, why, I guess you can't get around it. I mean, yep. I think that's what Michael's trying to write is mm -hmm. you can't get around the cognitive dissonance that needs to be created. And then the, the, the cognitive uh, changes that need to happen, which then affect our lifestyle. So I don't know how to get around some of those things. So mm -hmm. I, I think we also need to hear what might not be said in that question. Um, because what a person might actually be saying when they say, I don't know, that, that it's too academic, too intellectual, whatever. Like what they might actually be saying is, it's too daunting for me to think about. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm, I'm intimidated by that. I, I don't even know where to begin. There's this expectation that I, I don't know that I'm ever gonna be able to reach. Um, that, so that, that might actually be the subtext of what's being said. And if that's the case, then really what, what they're asking for is they're asking for training and instruction on how to think well um, and how to think biblically. Mm -hmm. And I, I know that you guys are already doing this at Sunnybrook, but just giving training, instead of just telling people, hey, go read your Bible, actually giving them the tools to read their Bibles well, um, uh, or rather than just saying, hey, you know, you need to, you need to take theology seriously, um, maybe actually giving them some, you know, instead of trying to eat yeah. the full course meal, give them some, some appetizers. Here's, here's something that I know you'll appreciate. Here's something that I know you can work your way through and it'll bless your life. You know, giving them those incremental steps to, to get the confidence to know that, oh, I, you know, I can do this. And it actually does bless my life to think well and to think biblically. I just needed some guidance and some instruction to actually be able to get there. And this is where I think it's important to recognize the text. We, one of the texts we talked about earlier, Ephesians 1.17, Paul prays that God would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they might know him better. But I also think it's fascinating. He not only prayed that, he actually reported his prayer to them. He actually told them that he prayed that. Why? And I think that's a, there's something really instructive about that. And it's, it's a point I didn't make earlier. Some of you guys made a little better than I do. That I, the way in which God's word comes to us, the way in which the spirit actually gives us these gifts, I think is through the church, through the instruction and the teaching ministry of the church. You know, Paul says it is God making his appeal through us, which I think some of the English translations soften what Paul's saying there. It actually is not as though, but it is God making his appeal through us. And you even think about some of the, all, I can't remember all of the different things we said earlier, but going to church and being a part of the church, you know, Jimmy's just saying class, go to church and be the church every Friday. That was the sign off study, fellowship, uh, worship, prayer, um, and, uh, and serving like literally going to church is, and being a part of an active congregation uh, shapes us. And it goes back to some of the stuff we were talking about in a previous episode, trains us toward godliness by calling us to do precisely those things and, and indeed leading us in doing them together. So asking the question, not, is that not me? Or, but should that be me? Mm -hmm. Or should that be me a little bit more of, I guess, would be kind of the, the comparison there. Oh, and, and you guys would love this. I'm just going to plug the book. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not required to do this for any reason, but Grant McCaskill is my supervisor in my doctoral program over at Aberdeen. And he just wrote a book, Living in Union with Christ. And he talks about how a lot of our discipleship strategies are, are weak to the extent that it's about the improvement of myself. 
that discipleship in the scriptures is actually the replacement of myself with a Christ in me. And, you know, Christ, I am actually now dead. And there's a new identity that I'm being mapped onto, and it's the identity of Christ. I think it totally pulls the rug out from under a lot of that. It's just not me. Yeah, like that's like the old be authentic. I want to be true to myself. Well, be true to your Christ and you self. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think is um is some imp- yes. It's the, it's the the C.S. Lewis line: God doesn't want us nice; He wants us new. Mm, that's good. That's what a lot of the Jamie Smith is going after in his new book on mm-hmm. um, kind of revisiting Augustine and stuff. Mm-hmm. Is that he talks specifically about the whole philosophy of the of the authentic self, mm-hmm. which is fundamentally flawed and broken. Yeah. Yeah. So, guys, this is. Uh, honestly really great stuff and i found myself one of the things i just appreciate the most um is hearing hearing how much you guys uh can't hardly explain something without grabbing scripture to try and explain it better and and i really do i i, I love that there's truth behind um your belief uh, that knowing the word and knowing the god of that word really does lead to to growth and becoming like his son. And, and I appreciate just that own reminder for me. Uh, I hope uh, for, for those of you guys listening, I hope that this has been valuable for you and, and, and something that's uh, helpful and encouraging and, and, and not the opposite, not discouraging or overwhelming, but something that's, that's inviting to you. Uh, to want to experience more of this in your own lives. Chad, Michael, thanks so much for, for taking the time to hang with us. So Jim. Do we, do we do more of this? Like, I don't know if they'll, I don't know if they'll have the time once the pandemic is over, but the summers, if the summer's canceled, we'll all have some time, you know? Right. That's right. I I really am. I'm going to reiterate what Drew said. You guys have been a huge blessing to me today. So thank you so much for your work. Thank you. Thank you. Very much. Loved having you guys. Um, And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll do this again sometime soon, but until then we'll see you next time guys.